Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six and a half I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to one field, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? It was a League Cup final for the ages. Described by Jurgen Klopp as easily the most special trophy he has ever won. A bunch of kids from the Liverpool Academy overcome the blue billion pound bottle jobs of Chelsea. <laughs> I wanted to get that one in early. A young, not to Gary Neville, of course, that's not oh, my line. A young Irish goalkeeper produces another standout performance at a tournament that he is fast making his own. If only we had a reporter on the ground at Wembley. Somebody who could, I don't know, think cogently and speak fluently about the mm. game. Wait a minute. Kenny! <laughs> hey, Welcome Ken. back, buddy. How you doing? Bit of a busman's holiday in the end. You were at the Carabao Cup final. Took a full week off to prepare for the Carabao <laughs> Cup final. Even Liverpool didn't do that. Got to research all these Liverpool Academy project, uh, products that are going to come on. Uh, various points of extra time. Just want to be there half. for Queen and Keller, you know? Yeah. Wow. Just Ooh. present in moments wow. of greatness. Well, the Independence Richard Jolly is on the pod later today with Jacob Steinberg of The Guardian, who's going to talk about the Chelsea side of things. Not a good day for Pochettino. Not a good day at all. But Ken, please, report from Wembley. Well, I mean, it was a pretty good game overall, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you enjoyed yourself anyway, that's good. Forget about the game, what about the atmosphere, the, the big cup final atmosphere around the place? Did it feel like a, a worthwhile sporting event to attend? Um, yeah, it was uh, It was good. Um, I'm not really getting going here, am I? Well, it's been a week off. You take your time. But if we can just keep chatting, we've yeah, we, we, you, you don't expect a lad to come charging out. Of the what about what, you know what, 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 what about the Irish, uh, the Irish fan uh, shouting into the Irish Liverpool fan shouting into the subway? Oh yeah, yeah, that was on the way on the way over. He was a a Tory hating, well, a Tory. Uh, fuck the Tories. Yeah, in a slightly scouse, but still, I could tell Dublin accent. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, he didn't. He seemed to have some skeptical views about the COVID nineteen ah. thing. Okay, but you yeah, know, 
I mean, it's uh, there are lots of broad churches. There, Liverpool Football Club, I suppose, is a broad church. Yeah, I probably don't need to lead you too far down that road. There today, are lots of Liverpool churches, fans interlocking <laughs> churches, and, yeah. all, and all members of the Liverpool congregation want to hear about their incredible triumph. Can so. no, no. But, but what was this lad up there? He was just, I was just shouting, shouting fuck the fuck Tories. The Tories. They, could, they weren't letting him on the train. I think. Ah, okay. There was no room. Well, I mean, and then he saw somebody wearing a mask, and he took exception to the mask wearer. People bah. wearing masks, you know, yeah. it's a red yeah. right to a bull yeah. in certain <laughs> cases. But uh, yeah, he I wasn't mean, related to Grieving Kelleher at all, though. We've no, no evidence of that, so that's fine. Yeah, no, it was. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think where to start on. Let's start with uh, Liverpool's number one. I yeah, don't know let's he wasn't start with Ah, here, very good. Yeah, like wasn't he just? Well, the the first save that he made, the first big save from Cole Palmer, was unbelievable because it's one of those moments where you just. Okay, this is a goal. You know what I mean? You're, I have to say, on right, here's something I notice about myself. Oh. I'll tell you something about myself. Please. I react quicker than other people to events on football pitch. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you've got those fast twitch fibers that set you apart in the press box. Is it? Now, because now, I've, I've wondered to myself, right, is it because, is it because I've got faster reactions? Yeah. Which have never, uh, I've certainly they've never been apparent on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in terms of watching things, if there's a shot, if there's a shot that's going to go in, or if there's, I can, I yeah, yeah. seem to react before the people around me do. Wow. wow. Yeah, but is that because I'm just Miguel? Is there sitting beside you? And says, Ken's already tweeted. Big chance for Cole, and then looks up and Cole Palmer still hasn't even like had his shot saved yet. <laughs> uh, what is this sorcery? Uh, or he has. Yeah, no, I, it is something I've noticed. I, don't, hmm, I do seem to, I, it just seems, I don't know, it just seems to happen for me a half a second before other people. But maybe that's just because it feels that way from my subjective point of view. Actually, it's, I'm just noticing their reaction slightly, slightly but no, I don't think so. No, I think I actually that. am seeing it a little yeah. bit. Anyway, I saw that one go in, is what I'm saying. Oh, so you don't always uh, see it correctly, is what you're saying. So I was amazed. Is, uh, it, a, is it a kind of premonition? Sorry, just to, just to be clear now, are you seeing things before they no, happen? No, I just, I just, I can see it. I, I know it's going to happen. I, I can see it's going to And I knew that Cole Palmer was going to score. Yeah. Your and eyes don't didn't roll, score. Your eyes don't like roll back in your head or anything. That it's, there's not like a physical manifestation that you're, you know, you're pre-seeing or anything. No. No, okay. No, well, it's, just, it's, just, yeah. it's just, it's just, you know, I, I seem to go, yes, or, you know, and then, yeah. the, then the crowd. You're like one of the minority report precogs. <laughs> With slightly worse social skills. Look, I'm sorry, you know, may, maybe I shouldn't have mentioned that, right? But it's, it is, it's a, you know, it's a fact. But anyway, I was sure Palmer had scored and then Keller stopped it. And I thought, wow, that is, that is a brilliant save. And then, okay, in the second half, he made an even better save. I mean, in a way, the, the first, the first one, it was honestly like the Dudek Shevchenko, the, remember that one in the, in the Milan, the Champions League final, um, a similar type of thing where it's like, a, it's got to be a goal and then he somehow blocked it. Mm. But the second one, a one-on-one, um, and that was at such a big moment of the game as well because you could see the, the situation unfolding. Uh, Liverpool had lost the ball high up. Uh, Cole Palmer got it exactly the player Chelsea would want on the ball because he seems to be the only one that plays as though he's got a brain. Mm. Honestly, you know, he's the only one where he he's like, he both sees what the right thing to do is and then has a better than average chance of executing that thing. You know, there's, he's still, there's still traces of Man City there which haven't been completely washed away by b- becoming a Chelsea player. And he gets the ball in this position. He can see the situation. He can see where the gap is. He just takes it inside, does everything really calmly, plays a perfect ball to Gallagher. It's got to be a goal. 
and again Kelleher saves it. Now I thought that was a that was sort of a better save because the first one's just is a miracle. You know, it's like you know, I mean, it's just. 99 times out of 100, Palmer's going to score. But this one is like really good play on one-on-one. Because if you look at the way that uh, he he takes advantage of a knock-right touch by Gallagher, closes the distance down, and then is in position. Now, Gallagher should still score that. Yeah, he still has to make the save, though. It's it's one of those ones. He made a very similar one against Burnley a few weeks ago. He made a couple of good saves against Burnley. It won his humdrum games that Liverpool ended up winning 3-1. But if he didn't make the saves, then mm. they're potentially going to go 2-1 down. Or, but there was one in the first half which looked like it was similar, he just kind of rushed out a bit and it looked like it just kind of hit him. But then you see it again, you actually notice one of his hands down by his side making the save, actually making an a, a movement to make the save. So it's not just like, I'm going to make myself big and the ball's going to hit off me. It's like, I'm going to make myself big and again, in the case of this Gallagher one, I actually have to wear it all just to just to react. Like, he's got really quick reactions, which obviously is kind of important for a goalkeeper. Yeah, it's 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 important. And then the other important thing is don't ever make a mistake. Yeah. Um, just never, ever make a mistake. <laughs> and luckily, in, in this game, he made no mistakes. Uh, he made a couple of other, you know, decent saves. But he's the king of the Carabao. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is great. Because, I mean, the previous one, um, the previous final, Chelsea had... They had a goal disallowed, of course, the Sterling goal, which was disallowed for offside. Didn't, didn't they have goals disallowed? He he didn't save any of the penalties, of the 11 penalties. It was Kepa who missed his penalty that ultimately made the difference. Um, obviously, it's great to... I mean, he kept a clean sheet in he, that game as well. He did score the penalty. He scored his, he scored his quite, penalty, quite of course. Quite me as well. Um, but, but I think this time he was the best Liverpool player along with um, Van Dijk. To who who actually did win the match? He was match. better than Van Dijk, according to Van Dijk. I, I was quite taken by those comments afterwards. That he was saying, oh, "Well, he should have won man of the match." But players say that anyway. You know, they're trying to, maybe trying to be humble, but also he said, I, "I've always been his biggest fan. I always I've always said he's world class," which sounds like a genuinely held belief because there's no reason just to trot that one out there yeah. after the game. No, it was it was great, and it's you know, I mean, it's it's great for him to get to win. I mean, he would have. Allison obviously is injured. Kelleher would have played this game even if Alisson hadn't been injured, but Alisson's going to be injured apparently for another month at least. So, Excellent. Um, he gets, he gets, <laughs> I mean, it's not a, a career-threatener for Alisson, so as long as... But, you know, nice four to six-week breaks here and there in Alisson's career are very good for grieving guys. Yeah, a few more games. And, you know, I think... isn't Aren't they playing Manchester City in that in that period? I mean, there's like a... You know, it's a title decider. And, you know, it's great just... It's just great to see this, like... Um, I mean, how how many times in like recent years have we actually seen an Irish player in a match at that level mm-hmm. um, being one of the most important players? I mean, it just it's been a long time. So yeah, that was that was great. Obviously, he wasn't the only Irish player. There was also this man. The two headers that he did score were fu- were brilliant. So they were so, and then obviously as well. It's just uh, he's so good at the back. So yeah, it's so yeah. nice as a right back to have them behind you, yeah. and um, it's so comforting for you. Played all over the place actually. Yeah. Probably. That was close. That was very, yeah, he very close. Himself. He's a mature head on young shoulders, yeah. young Bradley. You know, of course, this is one of my major... I mean, when people swear on uh, after GA games on TG Garrett, like, I get tweets. Do they? Yeah, yeah. Do yeah. you? Yeah, I do, yeah. It, it, people know that I have a very keen eye and ear for this sort of thing. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you've watched many all our, or, you know, Munster hurling final, minor finals, Ken. Yeah. The amount of cursing that goes on, pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Winning captain goes up, makes speech. Three fucks in that. Uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, there's a couple of fucks as he's lifting the trophy, get yeah, yeah. picked up by the microphone, then gets interviewed by TG Carr. A couple more in there as well. So it's just something that Irish teenagers do. Yeah. And I'm glad that Conor Bradley managed to avoid that. Well, he's 20, to be fair. 
Well, maybe but, that uh, year is what makes a difference. Yeah, I thought he had another another really good game. I mean, he got taken. Well, all due respect, in the most unparliamentary language, please. fuck you, Deputy Stag. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> From the past, there. With all due respect, teenagers at heart. Um, yeah, I mean, he he got taken off because, and I was I was almost amazed that he lasted um, as long. As, I mean, he it was seventy two minutes. I think he came off because um, just the sheer amount of galloping around that he was doing. Uh, I mean, I have to say, I was, I'm, on, I'm not going to say shocked, but like very impressed by the overall pace of the game. I watch a lot of international football these days, though. <laughs> I, spend, I spend a lot of time watching international football. Often, you know, international football of a high level. I mean, you know, the recent uh, World Cup final, of course, in Qatar, the dream, the dream final, the dream in the desert. Um, phew, this is a lot quicker. Is it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And also more violent. I know the World Cup was quite violent, but like this is high speed violence, and I couldn't believe how bad. Well, like I mean, I, I mean, I, I say I'm bad. I couldn't believe how bad the ref uh, refereeing was, even though I've been whinging about it continually for years now. Um, but it was so bad; it was just so bad, and so it, it ends up um, with an injury to Ryan Gravenberg. Uh, which could be a bad injury. I mean, I'm not sure. It looks nasty. It could be ankle ligaments in a few weeks. Who knows? Um, but this is completely the fault of the referee. So the the almost the first thing that happened in the game was Levi Colwell uh, taking a bad touch, chasing his own touch, plowing into uh, Alexis McAllister outside the Chelsea box. And... There's no card. Mm. Like, well, that has to be a card. I mean, this this is like uh, it's a it's a classic dangerous situation. You know, you're chasing your own. You just go and you know, oh, oh, I can't lose face in front of all my own supporters by giving this ball away. I have to. Uh, I don't care. I'm challenging for the ball. Uh, a bad foul. Caster's down. Hurt. It's got to be a yellow card. That's what the yellow card is for. Oh, no, well, you know, it's the first few minutes of the game. We don't want to do that, you know? There's another foul then by Caicedo uh, on Endo. Uh, and another foul by Chilwell on uh, Bradley. Oh, that was hilarious when they both got booked. No, no. No, sorry, that was... Uh, that was a bit yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. That was a bit later because Chilwell didn't get booked for, for the first one on Bradley. I don't mean to say that all these fouls were one direction. These were these were all happening in front of me. I was, hap- I was sitting at that end of the pitch. And... You know, I just couldn't believe it. But the point is that when you don't basically punish fouls, you don't like discourage players from doing this. It always gets worse, and that's what happened. You know, so Casado just took uh, Gravenberg out. I don't think it was a red card. Although, I mean, you've you've seen players sent off for similar types of things. I don't think it really was a red card because I don't think he really set out to do it. But it was clearly dangerous play, and he didn't even give a foul. You know what I mean? So. I think I think it's just so. This isn't a VAR rant, Ken. This is about the referee. No, well, there's there's a real there's a schizophrenia about it when you've got like uh, you're just waving through these uh, dangerous fouls. Oh, here's a player gets uh, you know does his ankle ligaments has to be stretched off. Oh, well, you know, clear that shit off the pitch. Let's get on with it. You know. Let's get on with it after we've all stood around for five minutes while the medical treatment happens. We want the game to flow, but we do have to take a five-minute injury break. Um, and then, but then to, to, for that to sit alongside the pedantic um, re-watching of, of a million angles to find a 
a reason, which which is sort of hard to understand. You know, mm-hmm. you're watching it. Like, how long is the referee standing there? He he'd gone over to this their goal. The Van Dijk this their goal. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, he he'd gone over to. Uh, I mean, obviously the goal went in. Massive, massive celebration. You know, uh, you know, and then oh, it's a few celebrations from the Chelsea side, and then it's oh, he's he's got to go over and have a look. Then he's over there for eight. <laughs> like, how, how long? Are you gonna? How, what exactly has gone on here that is, is is so difficult to spot? But then, okay, the goal is, is this loud. So it just, I just don't understand how those things coexist. Technically correctly, you know, they all. Is it even technically correct? Went through the protocols and so on. Yeah. I well, mean, yeah, he was offside, and he look. It's a. It, let's not get bogged down too much in this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, no, it's, this it's is not. a glorious day but for it, Liverpool. It was a great. It was a really great game. Um, you know, overall, it, uh, even despite what, despite the best efforts to destroy it, the other, the other big refereeing moment, of course, was the Bradley. You mentioned the Bradley Chilwell thing. Hmm. I actually thought Bradley was the aggressor there. Oh, did say. you? Yeah, because if you see what happened, he he kind of grabs Chilwell and sort of it's like a rugby style drive. He kind of drives him into the ground a little bit, like you know, he he it's it's a deliberate hmm. action to sort of. I, whether whether he was annoyed at Chilwell from the earlier challenge or whether he was just annoyed by Chilwell generally. I mean, Chilwell had, was a sort of a focus for a lot of the um, scorn of the Liverpool supporters I, because basically he he just looks like a sort of arch Tory from central casting, you know, in the sense of a, he, he may not even be a Tory, mm. but he's just got this sort of floppy hair and sort of confident vibe of... You know, a sort of a, a, a young smug Tory. <laughs> <laughs> this is just, you know, it's something, something you just you can't. I'm help. a highly paid uh, uh, man, a young man who works in the city of London. <laughs> That's what Ben Gilwell looks like. Yeah, you know, there is a there is a little bit of that. Like, and and it may it may be unfair. It's it's just a, but he, but he sort of seemed to lean into this role a little bit. He then pushed uh, Bradley, who stood there going, "Oh, well, you know." I thought Bradley actually was. Was uh, people were saying, "Oh, he shouldn't have been booked." I think it's actually fair enough mm. to, to book the two of them in that case. But um, do you feel that Conor Bradley behaved despicably? No, outrageously. Well, I, I don't think I don't think Chilwell behaved despicably either. But he definitely did with his uh, his actions, his peevish his peevish actions. <laughs> um, uh, earn himself hatred status. I gotta say, I worried a bit about this game when I heard that. I realised how much I love watching Darwin Nunes play when I found out that he was injured, that he yeah. wasn't going to be playing in this game. And immediately I'm like, oh, no. No, this takes away from the spec. And Salah, yeah, you know, great player. <laughs> does he excite me in the way Darwin Nunes does? <laughs> Not really. Uh, he's just a normal player at the end of the day. He's just a normal, he's, excellent yeah. player, scores lots of goals, you know, <laughs> creates all that kind of stuff, world class. But yeah, so I was thinking, oh, no, this, this, could, this could be dour. And if you told me, if I didn't see the game and I heard, oh, Salah's not playing, Nunez's not playing, nil-nil, no, goes no. almost at the end, you'd, th- you'd probably think, Jesus, that's, I'm kind of glad I dodged that one. But actually, it was really entertaining, in part because, obviously, you have this thing going on where Chelsea have plowed all this money in, Liverpool have all these young players coming through. Obviously, Klopp's going, getting praised for throwing them all on. I mean, he didn't have that many options in a lot of cases, I guess. It's yeah. like, but he's still given some of these lads a bit of experience and got them in and around it and you know look, he's just it was just a great Klopp day obviously and it was fun watching these these young lads just all slot into this thing and somehow pull it off yeah and I mean th- we're talking about like several players who most of the Liverpool fans in the stadium I'm pretty confident that if that if these guys came and sat down next to them <laughs> on the bus they would not recognise them well maybe maybe today but 
you know, if 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 you run the bus and like um, Jaden, da- well, maybe Jaden Jaden Dansted had played in the previous game and is a mm. player of of striking appearance. You know, he's got a big, he's got big hair. He, he maybe he looks a bit like that guy who played. Yeah. You know, <laughs> are um, you? Are you? No, I'm not. I just get confused with him all the time. But you know, J- James McCall, Bobby Clark. Um, you know, uh, Jaden Dance. There was Trey Neone on the bench. He was he was sixteen and looked looked like thirteen. <laughs> you know, um, so it's kind of it was sort of nuts what was happening. And and it and it's uh, uh, and you know so when you saw these players coming off, um, you know Liverpool obviously with this injury situation. I mean they they had apparently been trying all week to to you know make Chelsea think that maybe Nunez and Salah and. Sabasai could play, but actually they never could. Or if, if I think the situation was basically if it, if it had been the FA Cup final, the, like the last game of the season, yeah. um, then they will, then they all would have played. Mm. But because it's February and there's three months of the season left to go, you can't afford, you can't. They couldn't risk them, so um, so they so they're all sitting out. And then players are being brought off clearly because he doesn't want them to get injured. Um, he's already lost Gravenberg. Bradley comes off. Robertson, McAllister, Gakpo. And so, if you, if you've got to make that choice, okay, we have to we have to protect these players. Then you sort of have no choice but to put on these these other guys. I think a lot of coaches maybe would say we'll try and get away with the senior yeah, players yeah, and yeah. hope they'll get through it. But instead, he said he goes, okay, you you guys go on and do it, and they go and do it. It's to be fair, if Bobby Clark's up beside you. You probably go. That lad looks like he must be the son of your man Lee Clark he used to play for Newcastle because <laughs> they do. <laughs> Look at Bobby Clark. It's the exact same facial structure. Here's Lee Clark there. A little bit of Bobby Clark actually does look. Yeah, they've yeah. got very similar. There's very prominent jawlines. There's something about them. You 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 know one is a. You know them. You know them. And can I just also say that Nunez did make his impact in the end. There's an amazing clip of the celebrations afterwards, where he steams down. Who one of the player? One of the many stricken Liverpool players is hobbling down ahead of him. You know. In a moonboot. Is it grabbing? No, 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 sorry, it's Jones. It's Curtis Kurt, Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, actually, on crutches, I think. Yeah, yeah. He, he looks properly injured. <laughs> and Nunez just bursts him out of the way and sprints up to the pitch, going absolutely crazy. You're going to knock so me down he, the concrete steps. Even he had his moment. Um, They're a fun team to watch at the moment. There is no doubt. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the thing. You know, it's just... Like, it, the the contrast between the two sets of supporters. I mean, obviously, there's, there's like a there's a lot of differences. I mean, the Liverpool fans all boo the national anthem. You know, the Chelsea fans are singing it, uh, for the most part, uh, patriotically. Um, the Gravenberg thing happened. The Chelsea fans started to sing, always the victims... Um, to which Liverpool fans responded fuck the Tories by which I think they meant fuck you mm. and I saw that Tim Shipman the Sunday Times political editor um, had tweeted about this Liverpool fans saying fuck the Tories Chelsea fans respond fuck the Tories saw that yeah uh, look away now Prime Minister <laughs> but I'm I think the Chelsea fans were saying fuck the Scousers actually oh. I think that's what it was I thought that that was there. Mm. They weren't agreeing. They were they were responding. Well, but but the big uh, moment I thought was in extra time. There was this um, there was this sudden like apparently random like eruption of uh, singing from the Liverpool supporters. So they were singing, you know, "Alay Alay," swinging their scarves. This went on for like ninety seconds, and it was just—it was like really loud. You know, it was yeah. kind of like everyone like, "Oh yeah, we're getting into this," and it sort of develops its own momentum and snowballs into this massive thing. And then Chelsea fans are just sort of sitting watching this in like a sullen Tory silence, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but like, I felt sorry for the Chelsea fans because this team doesn't—it doesn't give you anything to get behind. 
Like the, their their team just isn't just there's nothing to latch on to. Like there's nobody to really to kind of to to be like Chelsea. Call, call Palmer, said, as you say. Is well, pa- Palmer is like Palmer is like a really good footballer, but like he's only been there for five minutes, and he's like uh, you know a, a sort of a young player. Like there's no one. Like obviously Chelsea have always had. I mean, no more than any other club, but there's always been like, you, you want to have a couple of like personality cults, mm. you know? I mean, obviously, Chelsea had that for years with, with um, Captain Sorry. Leader Legend. Yeah. Uh, and Lampard. A, and of course, Frank Lampard in a, in a different and more understated. They've spent a billion way. pounds and Conor Gallagher is their m- main man, you know, and he's, uh, Conor, to be fair to him, Conor Gallagher was probably their best player again if he had taken one or two of his chances, but you know, you just would think that the level of Chelsea's best player would be higher. But this is the thing, like, Conor Gallagher is, should clearly be, like, a kind of, uh, you know, uh, Pochettino was saying after the game, Liverpool are a great example for us. It was another example of, of Pochettino's anti-rhetoric. Like, if he, if you if you want to be the Chelsea manager for much longer, don't sit there after losing cup final to a bunch of academy players from Liverpool and talk about what a great example Liverpool are. Like, just just don't... You have to show more sensitivity than that. But if he's saying that they're an example, then some, someone like Gallagher is should be like a, a figure like Henderson was at Liverpool. Henderson, not, not a great player, like, compared to a lot of the players that, playing at that level. Mm. But, you know, had a kind of... Uh, you know, like uh, I'm, I'm really into this. Mm. <laughs> you know that kind of, which Gallagher, I think also, I think th- there's some similarities there. I think Gallagher might be a bit. Uh, he's a slightly different type of player, but I think he's got that sort of. This is why he's been, you know, the captain and, and this kind of thing. But he will be sold for, for pure, account, pure profit for accounting reasons. Like it's just crazy. Like and, and everyone kind of knows it's going to happen. So there's no point really even getting too attached to him. <laughs> you know, and like who, like the players have just changed on mass. And the new guys haven't really established themselves. Like, there's a couple of big name players, like Enzo and and Caicedo. Enzo, like, mm. you know, does he look that happy to be there? Caicedo hasn't really done anything good yet. Did a couple of mean things in the game yesterday. There's no one really to get excited about. Mm. Whereas the, what was happening with the with the Liverpool team, you know, the kind of the 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 way that you know it's just everyone a nineteen year old an eighteen year old a twenty one year old you know another nineteen year old coming off the bench, it's like this is ridiculous. Obviously they should lose, and that kind of in itself created its own like as as um, Linders Pep Pep Linders you know was doing the was doing all the press conferences for this competition because he's like he's like the Carabao Cup manager, although not the actual manager in the final you know but like he he's allowed to to do the to yeah. play manager. Every every advantage has its disadvantage, uh, was his you know Cruyff quote. Um, he loves he loves a quote, this Pep. But you know the, it was a good example of that, like in the sense of, uh, well, we were missing most of our best players. The team's got a bunch of eighteen or nineteen year olds. How funny would it be if if they nevertheless managed to win? And that suddenly everyone's kind of excited about that. Um, they're also confident as well in comparison to the Chelsea players the Liverpool young lads look like they're just part of something completely different you know yeah. because Chelsea are quite young as well and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit in a while whereas the, the Liverpool players it's not just the age it's that they come in like look at Conor Bradley just coming in and oh, like straight away this guy's a Premier League level potentially could be a world class player and mm. it's just it's, it's what Klopp has created there that they all seem to, to feel like they belong even if they 
six weeks ago, some of these lads would have been like, obviously I'm nowhere near, would I even be in a, a squad for a League Cup final? Then they go on the pitch and actually perform. It's yeah. pretty commendable stuff. Well, it's like there's, there's, there's something there for them to fit into. Yes. Or like they, yeah. they sort of understand, okay, the, if, I, if I play, then this is, what I, this is where I'm going to be playing and this is what is expected of me and this is what I'm supposed to do. And there's also a sense that the, the manager, maybe Liverpool fans wouldn't have recognised them. Um, Klopp obviously knows who they are and is aware of what they can maybe do, you know, and seems to seems to see them as like an actual <laughs> an individual, like a human being, and so on and so forth. Chelsea, I just don't know. Like it's just it's just sort of like you're just another guy in this squad. We've bought loads of them. The idea is that like some of you are going to work out. We know most of you won't. Mm. You know, and the, and there's just the sort of impersonal yeah. element to it. Think of all that pure profit Liverpool are going to make on these guys as well, though. Well, there, there's a, there is there is scope for serious uh, profit. Sell, sell, sell right now. I mean, you, they might never be hotter than the they are right now. <laughs> the peak of the market. But like, it's Klopp actually was saying something along these lines afterwards. I mean, he's saying, you know, what, what they did is unbelievable. How is it possible for them to play that to play that well? I think it's the environment we've created together. They've trained with us for a while. They know exactly what they have to do. Um, you know, so this is, it's like, it's not sort of like, oh, you know, what, what are we doing? What's, what kind of, what's our game plan today? Mm. Where am I fitting into this formation, which changes quite a lot, you know, with different people and everyone's got different, you know, no one really knows. Um, I mean, uh, you know, from, from Pochettino's point of view, I thought it was pretty, it, it obviously it went really bad. Cause if he, did you see his open letter? No. He wrote like an, he published an open letter to Chelsea fans on the on the Chelsea website in the morning of the game, and it was like, it was real like yeah now nah, we're gonna get you know uh, Chelsea Carajo Chelsea Carajo you know this kind of stuff uh, we're gonna go uh, and he's talking about how finals can bring everyone together and uh, I'm, I'm thinking now today of all the children who will live their first final. Uh, memories that can last a lifetime. They will leave a mark on you for a lifetime. And of, co- of course, all this stuff in the context of a, a bitter defeat is like, oh no, it's going to mark them for a lifetime. <laughs> you know, uh, scars that will never heal. But it, it it had the impression of, it gave me the impression of, here's a guy who's like, who already feels like maybe he's quite close to the end. And it's like, time to just make a big heap of all these chips and just push them on there. Because if I lose, if we lose, I'm fucked anyway. Mm. And so I'm, I'll just get all this on here and then hope that th- that it's going to work out and this will be like a big a takeoff point. Mm. And of course, it sort of, ba- it sort of backfires. But like, I mean, you know, who cares in a, in a way? Like, I mean, I suppose that's just the way it's gone. And uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's not going to work out for him at Chelsea. Any Premier League stuff you want to... Get into well, Owen. I mean, um, it was a, it was a sensational Premier League weekend. There was this uh, uh, goal by Fulham. Again, such a rare thing to see. You know, when you get a in a stadium which is like baying for blood, has has tasted blood, wants more, wants to see the the the, the, mm. the finish of this Fulham. You know, we all know we all know how this ends, and then. <laughs> For it actually to go the other way was just an absolutely stunning. Um, moment. Brought to you, of course, by Premier Sports here in uh, Ireland. Yeah, who, who we forget? Was anyone copping the blame there? Copping the blame. I don't have any. No, I don't know if it's any particular. You know, Kenny Cunningham and Damien Delaney. They don't go in for scapegoating, Ken. But. Um, no, it was just a highly entertaining end to a game that was nil all at halftime and you're hoping something will happen in the mm. second half. United pretty lucky, to be honest, to 
get level or to be level they ha- they could have been further down by the time they got the equaliser then as you say started bombarding Fulham somewhat predictably then the ball gets out to Adama Traore who has a chance to push it past Harry Maguire and run and you're thinking oh. uh oh he's going to take as, that chance as soon as you saw him go past Maguire you yeah. knew this is going to be but then is... you've also seen Traore do that a lot and there's not when does, not he, ever, when does he ever play the ball there's not always the end product with yeah. Traore unfortunately if there was he'd be probably the best player in the world <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. and he actually play, he plays like a Cole Palmer ball and Iwobi is able to produce a better finish but yeah, I, I don't know. Did you did you see Stephen Kenny's interview actually with Dan on Saturday? I did. Yeah, in the indoor. Um, so he, he came armed with notes and uh, nothing wrong with that. And a graphic even that Daniel uh, McDonald reprinted, independent of all the players that he's brought through. All the all the players that he's brought through. And gave, yeah. Con- if only Conor Bradley's face was on that <laughs> list. <laughs> if only Conor Bradley was one of these players. Look, you know we're not gonna. Okay, I get stuck on that. But he said a couple of things. I mean, first of all, he 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 mentioned this terrible uh, car oh, accident oh that his wife, his wife was involved. Oh my god! Yeah, thank, thank, thankfully she's all right. Sounded absolutely um, terrifying, really. On the on the M50, yeah, the car was truck. pushed 150 oh. yards by a truck who thought that he had a puncture. Um, so thankfully she seems as in yeah he was pushing this car along he thought that the sensation he was feeling apparently was that there was a puncture before mm. I hope he realised what was going on Jesus so luckily um, that uh, that sounded like it could, it could have been uh, yeah. worse but uh, what did he say he he uh, obviously he made the case that, that the team's in a better place now than than when when he found it which I think is is true although there was he he said a couple of things. Um, you know, he, he was talking about some of the criticism. One of them, um, uh, one I, I, I don't know, maybe we should ask Damien Delaney about it next time we're talking to him. A lot of the criticism in the last campaign was that I was tactically outthought, tactically outsmarted, particularly against Holland, where we went 1-0 up and lost 2-1. Mm-hmm. We could have gone two up and had chances in the game. We concede a penalty and lose. Yes, they took off centre-back and put on a midfielder, and we knew that. We had prepared for that. We had to adapt our game, became a little bit more counter-attacking, but we just got punished because we didn't defend as well as we could have. These are things that happen. They're a quality team. We have to respect that. When we beat Scotland 3-0, did I completely tactically outsmart Steve Clark? No, I definitely didn't. We prepared the team. The team did well. We scored a goal. It's brilliant. It's not often you hear tactics being blamed that way, and there is, without doubt, a level of condescension and snobbery attached to those comments. Now, I, the reason I mentioned Damien Delaney is because I know that, I mean, we had him on here. We were talking with him about this exact game in this exact way. Yeah, he would have talked about it on TV as well. He but did. We went in uh, to a fair bit of depth on that, on the whole Netherlands thing. To be honest, that popped into my head as well. <laughs> I, don't, mm. I don't know who Stephen Kenny was talking about, but that one popped into my head. Yeah, well, I, I mean, certainly certainly Damien was, was making that point. But I, I think that there was a completely fair point to make. I mean, this is the level. Like, you know, uh, it, it was... Uh, tactically not good by Ireland they, we didn't respond to a situation that you know they made a change we didn't respond they got a goal out of it and it, and that was the game and that's kind of that's the difference I mean he says at one point to Dan you know um, people talk a lot about um, it's often you hear people saying that a player or a manager is a winner but how do you define that what does it mean Go on. But winning him. I mean, winning consistent matches. victory in football matches would be a... Winning is would, is one of the big ingredients, I, w- I would say. So, you know, the, and the other thing um, that he said, and, I, and, and you know, I, I thought this was a good interview, and I don't mean to sound like I'm just sort of now taking pot shots at Stephen Kenny for, you know, gratuitously. Um, but he also mentioned um, 
something about, well, he said we actually never conceded a goal. Um, play, playing out from the back. Playing out from the back, to which Diana McDonald says, well, what about Josh Cullen, you know, mm. against France, Pavard, you know, Cullen passed the square, Pavard got the ball scored. That was an interception, said Stephen Kenny. Josh intercepted it. It was counter-pressed. That wasn't a structured play out from the back. They were on the attack. It was a misplaced pass and an outstanding finish. Well, I mean, if we're going to make... I mean, we, you know, there was... there was, there was uh, Conor Harahan against Armenia did the same thing. Matt Doherty against Latvia did the same thing. Oh, like, yeah. we, we kept doing... We kept mm. playing. Now, if... if if conceding a goal from playing a square ball across your penalty area doesn't qualify as conceding a goal, back. I mean, it's what are you I mean, doing if, they, if you're not? Yeah. <laughs> you know if that right? is like it, it, it kind of seems, and again, it's like there's no point in like overriding this, but I mean, yeah. it kind of seems like unless it started with a goal kick that you rolled five yards to your centre half, then, then, then it, it doesn't, doesn't count, it has to go into a different, yeah. put that under interception. Well, okay, yeah. well, there was interceptions too, but but look, yeah, that, that again, yeah, no, it's good, it's well worth reading, but it, it's what you would expect from Stephen Kenny like it would have been interesting to clearly this is just how he's always going to view it he's always going to be he, he feels embattled even now after the job is well, probably especially now that the mm. job is gone and he's always going to come out fighting and come out defending his job and all that sort of stuff I'd like to hear him at some point maybe talk about some of those things that went wrong and why they went wrong and what he did wrong and what he's learned from it and stuff like that there's none of that it's as, yeah. it's as though yeah. he just did this amazing job bit unlucky with some results and you know it's in a great position for the next man I would yeah. like to hear maybe I don't know a bit more do you know it seems like it's been a while since, on the, on the, on the yeah. failures it seems like it's been a while since uh, Stephen Kenny was no longer Republic of Ireland manager but at the same time I still think this it's probably too soon for that interview to happen you know the interview yeah. that you're talking about there um, it's probably been a pretty long no, as, as Dan, as Dan, I think Dan makes a point something along the lines of like, you know there's presumably a new manager close at some stage so now is probably a good time for Stephen Kenny to get his yeah get his sort of defence of his record out there get it out there um, so the, just the other thing on was Arsenal obviously one of their best performances I thought so far of the season um, so much so much energy so much power uh, Newcastle yeah. really looking a, you know made to look a bit Eddie Howe's Bournemouth mm. and uh, Arsenal just cutting them apart in open play pounding them at set pieces just Brighton are two points ahead of Newcastle <laughs> it yeah. seems like Brighton haven't won a football game in a number of months yeah and, and see Big Ev again and yeah. kind of semi-injured and uh, uh, what's his name the Derby the Cromwell yeah. giving it the L we need him in his best conditions I'm like yeah well, anyway, look, uh, I'm sure everything is, is going to go fine well there. With, yeah. A couple but, of goals to sort that out. But just yeah. on the Arsenal, uh, uh, an interesting conspiratorial piece in the pages of El País by the Don Diego Torres, who, uh, who goes back to that moment when Kai Havertz scored, the much maligned Kai Havertz scored in the game. Mikel Arteta shouted, threw his punches in the air, faced the public in search of complicity, bared his teeth. He was in the 24th minute of the Premier match against Newcastle this Saturday at the edge. Kai Havertz had just scored his seventh goal in 36 games since Arsenal signed him last summer. So, uh, this this is a piece all about how Havertz represents, Havertz is, is Mikel Arteta's um, precious little baby. Mm. Uh, 
who he who he brought into the Arsenal family over the objections of the sporting management, right? The sports management, I should say. So, uh, relief for coach who, in exchange for the signing of Harvard's for seventy five million euros, mortgaged his prestige to demonstrate to the American owners of the club, the Crunky family, that he deserves the power they claim in the decision making of the most ambitious club at North London. Bit of a drive by there on Tottenham, uh, but. Um, Arteta said Havertz would be a total success as an interior player, explains one of Arsenal's leading agent, a trusted man of Stan Kroenke, the owner, and Richard Garlick, the general director, on condition of anonymity. Uh, it was his non-negotiable bet to replace Granit Xhaka and occupy a vital position to maintain the team's football balance and take the step to the next level that will allow us to win the Premier League. So apparently in the within the sports management in Arsenal, they were like, hmm, not sure about this Havertz. Uh, they considered him a player too inclined to be distracted to place him in one of the axes in the midfield in exchange for the highest salary in the squad. I mean, if that's true, that's incredible. But I suppose he is a big signing who came from Chelsea where he was presumably on a lot. A direct rival, uh, which would leave Arsenal without the ability to renewal financially if things didn't work out. Arteta won. But tensions within the club have not ceased. So obviously I'm sort of sitting yes. up and my, you know, what's going on here? Havertz only functions as a playmaker and is as irregular as at Chelsea. He barely participates in the management of the midfield. Arsenal's game is sustained by the extraordinary momentum of Rice, Jorginho, Odegaard, Trossard and Martinelli. But the team has not improved its circulation rate compared to last season. Uh, they're not doing as well as last season. A couple of stats for that. And then he points out that Arsenal um, are second only to Chelsea in transfer spending over the last, um, over the last four seasons. Uh, they spent more than Man City. They spent more than Liverpool. Spent more than PSG. Um, net, I think it's uh, 532 million euros uh, net, according to Don Diego. Um, but essentially, goes on to uh, this is. I found this to be a, a, a remarkable and an interesting claim. So that. Um, uh, Arteta basically had said the, the reason things aren't going so well in the first couple of seasons because there, there are players here who I need to get rid of who are undermine me, undermine my authority. Ozil, Lacazette, um, Pepe, Aubameyang, uh, Aubameyang um, William, right? Get rid of these guys. So they, they've got rid of all those. Um, and uh, so basically, uh, okay, so, this, so I'll just read this out. The, uh, after two and a half years, uh, uh, an eighth place in 2020, another eighth place in 2021, a fifth place in 2022, without significant progress, the Crunkies called the club executives to impose a strategy from sports management. The newspaper has tried to check this information with Arteta without success. But since 2022, there are various people linked to the club who assure that the, <laughs> the message that Arsenal gave the coach was unequivocal. Bury forever the schemes with three centre-backs and two pivots that he used so much between 2019 and 2022 and implement once and for all the 4-3-3 that is the basis of Guardiola's model. For that, ultimately, they took him to London. But Arteta, as the club suspects, did not want to play with a scheme parallel to Guardiola's so that he would not be associated with him. So basically... The claim here is that Arteta was had come up with a Arteta ball system, mm. which was different from Pep's, just because he he didn't want to be people calling him a, yeah. a mini. Oh, he's part of the Pep uh, dynastic uh, tree. Yeah, just the coaching a, tree. Just a sort of a knockoff Pep, um, but but this eventually the, the sports Pep. management got tired of this egotism from their coach. Uh, the quote, there's a quote here. 
uh, from, again, an anonymous source. We had to implement a model that helps footballers, not that helps Guardi- uh, Arteta to distance himself from Guardiola. Uh, so there you go. But then, uh, so what happens? Arsenal succeed brilliantly, 22-23. Right? Mikel Arteta is the toast of Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arsenal almost win the league. Uh, everyone is, is like, wow, this is incredible. Arteta takes all the credit. Right, yeah. Arteta decides. This is look. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just relaying to you what's in this uh, in the Spanish sports press. Uh, Arteta takes all the credit, um, and he says basically, yeah, um, convinced that the second place achieved in the Premier was his work. He demanded the signing of Havertz. So uh, again, they sort of reiterate. They saw him. Uh, Crunky's advisors express express objections. They saw him as intermittent and absent-minded. Uh, but Arteta said, <laughs> no, like he's, he's great. Uh, eight months later, Kai Havertz, whose position between number nine and midfield remains undefined, comes and goes without making much of an impact in an arsenal so full of excellent players that there are days when he could play very well, even when Arsenal could play very well, even with one, uh, even with one player less. Hmm. So, look, I just thought that was interesting, okay? <laughs> I just thought it was interesting, okay? You might think that Arsenal are going great and Arteta is like doing great and everyone has, but you know, just look mm. beneath the surface and all kinds of conspiratorial stuff allegedly going on. <laughs> Good to have you back. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Very pleased to say we can speak to the Liverpool manager, Jurgen Klopp, now. Joining us, what did you like about your team's performance tonight? Everything. Did I, did I hear it right? Mr. Keane said um, we had a sloppy performance tonight. No, because I could hear you already. Did he say that? Cannot be this game. Sorry. Jürgen Klopp said the other day about Man City had a break because of the virus when their game was called off against Man City. I think they missed two days training. They are making a lot of excuses to meet up in bad champions. This was a sloppy performance tonight. I just want to not only hear it, because I'm not sure if I heard it right. Maybe he spoke about another game. But about this game tonight, there's nothing bad to say. Jorgen Klopp said there, maybe the goalkeeper's feet was cold. This excuses after excuses. Talking about Liverpool, there are people keep telling me Liverpool's a great club and a huge club. Well, keep performing like that. It'll be another 30 years before you win the league title. No, you're, can you hear me? Sloppy. Yes, I don't know. I look at the speaker and only heard the word sloppy. That's in that game tonight, and then it was the wrong you need, one. But you need to hear the rest of it. Richard Jolly and Jacob Steinberg were both at Wembley with Ken here. Richard, how's the form? Uh, yeah, good, thanks. Yourself? Good, not too bad. Jacob, good to talk to you. How are you? All good, thanks. 
it was his uh, greatest day. Is that what he said? Jurgen Klopp, he's had a lot of great days with Liverpool, Richard. Why did this, do you think, being there feel so great for Liverpool fans and their departing manager? I think it was the improbable element of it. I think Klopp always likes a sense of adversity. Uh, I think Klopp always savours the stories of people. Um, He doesn't just see footballers as kind of pieces to move around on a chessboard. And so when he has Jaden Dans, who only made his debut the other uh, Wednesday night, coming on and almost scoring twice in in extra time, when he has James McCon- McConnell and Bobby Clark and he has these unknown teenagers, I think it's the improbability of it all that really appeals to him. I mean, one thing Klopp said recently, which I think ties into this, is that he thinks one of his greatest achievements was when Liverpool got into the Champions League in 2021 in the season when they didn't have any centre-backs. Um, and it ended up being, they found a way with Reese Williams and with Nat Phillips playing centre-back. Mm. And for those who've lost track of them, uh, Nat Phillips is now on loan at Cardiff. Reese Williams went on loan to Port Vale, got injured and came back from loan at Port Vale. And so if you'd had a situation where this was the full-strength Liverpool team, firstly, you might have seen a repeat of the game three or four weeks ago where they blitzed Chelsea. But secondly, they would have been favourites and it would have been expected. And I think Klopp really enjoyed the fact that it was just so unlikely. And and that was that was where that comment came from. Um, what did you think of Virgil van Dijk stealing Queeving Kelleher's man of the match? <laughs> yeah, it was a bit cruel of him. I mean, he, he was absolutely outstanding. There's times with, with van Dijk where, apart from the calmness he has, which is obviously very useful when he's surrounded by the sort of team you might see in a pre-season friendly, but never normally in a competitive game. He also just has this kind of magnetism and the ball gravitates towards him. But And he he is really a, a colossal figure in a lot of ways. And we were actually having a conversation in, um, in extra time saying, if Liverpool get a penalty now, who will take it? And the, the probable answer was, well, Virgil van Dijk, just partly because he is Virgil van Dijk. And instead, he sort of ensured the game didn't go to penalty shootout um, with, with that header. But yeah, Callagher was Callagher was absolutely brilliant. And one of the things that I think Liverpool like about Callagher is that he does seem to, 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 rise, to rise his game to the occasion. You've seen that a couple of times at Wembley. Mm. Um, and he's got that kind of big game element to him. Because sometimes he does make mistakes in other games and... He, he should have done better with the goal Luton scored in midweek, for instance, but come to Wembley and, and, and then he was actually outstanding again. We're always having this debate over here about whether he needs to move on to become a regular starter somewhere to, to advance his career at this stage and to get into the Ireland team. I mean, does that seem bonkers to you? If you're looking at this from the point of view somebody who doesn't really care what happens internationally with Cuevin Keller, would you be thinking if he gets days like this and he's the second choice goalkeeper at a club like Liverpool, that's that's the place to be? Yeah, I think it depends on the trade-off that you're willing to make because he obviously doesn't play huge numbers of games, but the games he does play are for a huge club and can be of huge importance. Uh, I mean, clearly Liverpool at the moment under Klopp is a is a brilliant environment to be in. And But Klopp is also an absolutely superb man-manager in terms of keeping people happy when uh, who knows who his successor will be or how they will do it. Kelleher attracts interest. Um, he got that absolutely silly bid from Nottingham Forest on deadline day, which was 
stupid for two reasons, one of which being that Liverpool weren't going to sell him, and the second of which being that they offered rather less than Liverpool think he's worth. Which was how, how, much, did they, how much did they offer? They offered 15, Liverpool think he's worth in excess of 20. Right. Um, now, it remains to be seen whether someone whether anyone else will pay in excess of 20. You can look at a couple of prices as potential markers, and one of them is the 16 million Southampton paid for Gavin Bazunu, which I suspect anyone who's watched him play for Southampton will say was rather more than he was worth. But there was also Manchester City got a fee rising to 19 million for James Trafford um, from Burnley. Again, Liverpool would value Kelleher at more than that, and he would go into any such transfer with more relevant experience i think mm. but Callagher does face a decision in the summer uh from a liverpool perspective in a way he'd be very difficult to replace um but i guess that's why you see a lot of the second choice goalkeepers at big clubs are often actually quite experienced players who are willing to accept that role um having got you know having had life as a first choice and maybe had several hundred games under their belts potentially at smaller clubs yeah, you know, watching this game, it, it was it was an interesting game, Jacob. Uh, I've seldom seen a game that had such a kind of a clear uh, narrative that everyone was agreed on, as I suppose the, was best summed up by the uh, influential content creator Gary Neville, who uh, shouted that Klopp's kids had beaten the blue billion pound bottle jobs. Um, and, and this was... Uh, you know, I was there. That's what I thought had happened. Well, not not exactly, but it, in in terms of the, here's a team of kids beating a, a you know a, a team of expensive players. That was kind of how I I did feel about it, uh, and I have to say I was actually surprised to see um, the counter narrative emerging from Chelsea supporters that in fact uh, both at the beginning and end of the game the Chelsea team was on average younger than the Liverpool team. Um, 25.8 to 23.9 at the start of the game and, you know, Liverpool were older. 24.1 to 22.6 at the end of the game. Okay, you know, these are average, whatever, you know. Uh, why do you think uh, the, the narrative seems to go so, the, the dominant narrative, I mean, seems to go so so counter to the apparent facts? <laughs> uh, perhaps a bit of a face-saving exercise going on. Um, I suppose the other reason for those average ages might be because Liverpool had... Um, a 30-year-old or 32-year-old in the side in, in Van Dijk. So they actually had some experience there that they that they made sure that unlike Chelsea, this just wasn't that the project isn't entirely built around youth and inexperience. And they have people who were able to handle the the occasion. Um I, I never got the impression watching it um from at Wembley that Van Dyke was going to allow himself to be on the losing side, and I'm not sure that there were similar characters in in the Chelsea side. And it's, it's something that Pochettino referenced afterwards when he was asked to explain what on earth went on in extra time. And there was just that little line about maybe some leadership and experience, and there's just not a lot of that in that um, in that Chelsea side. I I would go along with what Gary Neville said yesterday and, and how you feel about it. Um, I think that for Chelsea, if if they could have asked for better circumstances in which to play Liverpool in a final, I, I don't think you possibly could come up with it. Really, I mean, it, it, Liverpool come into it without most of their best players, um, and and you sort of take the game and every possible single 
little thing that could have gone for Chelsea probably went for them. Give or take the the offside goal for Sterling, where the angles do look a little bit weird with the offside. But Caicedo easily could have been sent off. Nobody would have complained if, if he had been for that tackle on Gravenberg. It's another t- um, injury for Liverpool. They've got nothing really apparently on the bench, but that turned out to um, to, to to not be the case uh, by by the time extra time arrived. But um, you know they they tart uh, Chelsea got away with a very nervy start in which Liverpool were all over them. They um, Liverpool tired. He had to bring off players and he brings on uh, teenagers who most of us had never seen before or, or heard of or know what they look like. Uh, and Chelsea finished that uh, at the end of normal time. They finish it so strongly. It looks like they're going to win and that they've got another 30 minutes to go at this team of basically kids and Van Dijk and Luis Diaz, and, and that was kind of it. And then they don't do anything in extra time. It was really weird. It, it, I don't know what Pochettino said to them, it, whether it was him, whether it was a, a, a glitch in the just the mentality of this team, that they were just unable to um, keep up the momentum that they, they, they really built up towards the end of normal time where they had all those chances, and it just felt like a matter of time before they were going to score. Yeah, and then in extra time they just did nothing, and they weren't able to. You know, five or six minutes went, and you suddenly realised, hang on, Chelsea haven't been in Liverpool's half now, um, and it's and it's and Liverpool have suddenly got control of the game again. Right, what are Chelsea going to do about it? And they did nothing, and that's still with two a hundred million pound midfielders on the pitch, who Caicedo and Fernandez, who are absolutely unable to take the game back from. Endo, James McConnell and, and, and Bobby Clark. It was astonishing. Yeah, there was and this weird comment, Jacob, as well, that uh, Pochettino had that the team maybe felt, the, the players started to lose their energy. The team felt maybe penalties would be good for us, which is, I thought, a strange one to make after the match. How damaging is all this for Pochettino, given the circumstances you've laid out there? I, I think for, for Pochettino coming, this was a huge game for him. Obviously, he's not won anything in English football. He's won it. PSG, but there's always going to be that asterisk against titles that are won there. And he's got this history of going into big games and his team at times not turning up. You could lay out a few of them at Tottenham semi-finals, finals, which um, which they lost. So coming into this, you know, it was it was a huge chance, and it's obviously especially without Salah and Nunes and Chobosly and, and Jota playing, and Chelsea having come into it in a, on a good run of form as well. Um, obviously, that Man City performance was very good. Um, and he might have come away from that 90 minutes thinking, actually, I did everything that I could to give us the, the platform to win the game. And the problem was that we didn't take our chances. You know, to Sassi, Gallagher, all the, they, they, they should have scored. And if that happens, then the narrative is completely different. Instead, you're coming away from it with a very, very embarrassing defeat. And the fans who don't, they, they really haven't taken to Pochettino. I think the, 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 the general vibe I get from Chelsea fans, and this is not me saying it, is that I think they think he's a bit of a loser and yeah. a bit Tottenham. And they haven't really taken to him. They think he's Spursy. And, that's, and there's no real connection. They don't sing his name. So he's got that issue to begin with. And I think these, these owners have shown that once it turns, that they will be with you until they're not. With yeah. Potter, they were with him for ages. 
it was going to be, they were going to give him the time that Arteta had, that Klopp had, and then he was gone. Even though he got them into a Champions League quarterfinal when he was sacked. And I think for Pochettino now, um, I don't think he's about to get sacked uh, today, but obviously they've got this game against Leeds in the FA Cup on um, on Wednesday, which is huge. If he loses to a championship side at home, then it's going to be very, very shaky ground for him. Over, but my, my, my sense would be that he needs a very strong end to the season. If he can possibly somehow get them into Europe from here uh, to to have a chance of probably being the manager next season. But I mean, from his end, you might think, am I getting, um, am I having a good time here? <laughs> is, is this the, is this the job that I dreamed it would be? Because it's easy to focus on the manager, but I don't, I, I think that given what's gone on at Chelsea, you know, he's the fifth manager that they've had in, in the space of two years. It, it, it's, there are, there are deeper problems there than one person. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw a clip from another content creator, not as illustrious as Guy Neville, who um, who was, uh, I think, a, a Chelsea fan, who was ranting and raving about how Chelsea were about to set an unbelievable, a record, a really grim record was, was about to be set. And I was sort of listening attentively to hear what this was going to be. And it turned out to be, we're going to complete two seasons without winning a trophy for the first time in, I don't know, <laughs> like, however, however long. And I was like, oh, right, two... The drought. Two, two years. I mean, th- this is this is what you're up against the Chelsea, uh, Rich. I mean, this is what... Um, this is what Chelsea fans still apparently... Ex- I mean, two years doesn't seem like that long not to win a trophy, considering, you know, what happened there, you know, with, with Abramovich having to sell the club and all, all these types of things. Um... You know all all the kind of convulsions that have that have happened there. It seems quite reasonable that they that they might actually go two or three or four or five years without winning anything. But uh, I mean, what I mean here, uh, Rich, is what what do you think? Do, do you think anyone could could go in there uh, at this club with the sort of philosophy that they have, with the way that that squad has been built and the, and the squad that's there now? Uh, many of whom remember are there for the long haul, according to their contracts at least, and actually make a real team out of them? Probably not. I mean, I I expected Pochettino to do a bit better, I have to say that. But fundamentally, he clearly isn't the biggest problem at Stamford Bridge. Um, Just quickly on the trophies, by the way, Klopp's first trophy came after three and a half years at Liverpool, but... And the Liverpool fans were perfectly patient with that. But that yeah, but I, I, I always kind of, uh, I, I mean, it always annoys me a bit. Not, not that you have annoyed me now, Rich, when you, oh, when go you say on. that. But it does. <laughs> but I it, probably have. But, but you often hear it. You often, you hear it from managers. You, you'd hear it from Pochettino, I'm sure. Mm. Has, has, mm. Pochettino may even have said it, actually, in the press conference after, after the game. Yesterday, I've, I've, you've hear, you heard from different managers or pundits saying, well, you know, Klopp didn't win anything. For ages. Klopp made an immediate impact. You know, they were getting yeah. to finals and losing finals, but playing brilliantly. I mean, he got to the Champions League final in, in, in 2018. That was a phenomenal achievement. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Klopp had also finished in the top four in his first full season in charge. So there were a lot of reasons to think that Liverpool were going in the right direction and that it was an enjoyable club to support. So the literal thing of did they win a trophy or not, that's not the only criteria. Um, and I, I would imagine that from a financial perspective, for Chelsea this season, they would far rather finish in the top four than win the Carabao Cup to begin with. But, but, but I, I mean, yeah. I, th- I think the thing with Chelsea, right? So, 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 I, re- I really, I'm interested in this. This, um, how do you actually make a team out of this collection of 
individuals, well, you know? And there well, was... that's the problem. And, and Pochettino so far hasn't really, with the exception of, there have been a handful of games. I mean, I think Aston Villa away was their best performance. And, you know, they played very well at Manchester City last week. They've had well, two draws for Manchester City. But in general, part of the, one of the many problems with Chelsea is that they have just bought individuals. Um, and Pochettino and potentially someone else next season will be left with the task of what is the team there and how do you get them together? In Pochettino's case, the fact he has a two-year contract and half his players are contracted until minimum 2028 and in most cases well into the 2030s means he is obviously the dispensable one um, and will presumably be dispensed with at some stage. Chelsea just seem to have taken it as a kind of championship manager project where you can go in and just buy 20 players and get rid of 20 other players and it will gel. Um, and it doesn't. I mean, I always find the midfield one of the most intriguing but also bemusing elements of it in that Caicedo and Fernandez, I think, bring out the worst in each other. You've got this £222 million double act. And if you want to see their best performances, they're nearly always when they're not with each other. I mean, in Caicedo's case, in a Brighton shirt, in Fernandez's case, in an Argentina shirt, there is the mystery that they actually haven't bought a prolific number nine with a billion quid. And maybe if they had, they would have won that game yesterday. Um, but there is all, I think beyond that, and Jacob might correct me or, 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 di or, or be it or, agree with me on this one there feels a kind of soullessness to it one of the things that Klopp's done is he's got that incredible spirit which extends to the fan base as well that kind of unity which helps when you're bringing in random 12 year olds to play and Chelsea there, there, there isn't anything like that because it's this weird American hedge funds project where they've convinced themselves they're really clever despite all evidence to the contrary um and they carry on finding embarrassing ways to flounder. Because, I mean, it was embarrassing in one respect to lose to Liverpool 4-1 four weeks ago. But they found a different way of embarrassing themselves against Liverpool yesterday when they couldn't beat the under-12s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's one... Well, you, you mentioned that the, the midfield partnership there. And, I mean... Obviously, there was a whole drama in the summer um, where Liverpool wanted to sign Caicedo. They, they wanted to make Caicedo their record um, signing. And there's been various, uh, you know, comments from, from Klopp since then. You know, oh, we were so lucky that didn't work out and all this kind of stuff. And, and Endo obviously played much better than either of these guys um, yesterday and has emerged as, you know, he's at least, he, he, has, he has played better in the Premier League this season than either of those players. And... Looks just as good as just good, just as good as them, but specifically on Caicedo, right? Liverpool obviously rated him highly enough to bid. Was it 110 million pounds for this guy, right? And Chelsea, maybe that was what made Chelsea so sure that he was worth paying 150. They're like, well, if they think he's this good, then we are definitely gonna gonna pay the money because he must be brilliant. But Jacob, you are you think that maybe there are some um, some question marks being to emerge about whether. Not that he's not good. I mean, he's obviously good, but that there are uh, there are some some problems with his game. Yeah, I mean, he, he is a good player, and he was a good player at Brighton. And but they but they know that they overpaid for him, and they know that they overpaid for Enzo Fernandez. Uh, I, I just think with um, with Caicedo that something that 
has repeatedly happened this season. He's obviously going to be the deepest lying midfielder. And when he gets the ball, there seem to be um, r- numerous opposing teams who immediately get get on him and swarm him. And he doesn't seem like he's able to handle it. You know, I thought he coughed up the possession quite a few times yesterday in quite dangerous areas. And he wasn't alone in that, to be honest. I mean, Disassi was an absolute disaster in, in possession at times. Um, but but you, you kind of, with Caicedo for an 115 million pound midfielder, you can come up with uh, quite a few moments when that's happened. And, you know, it was two or three weeks ago in the Wolves game, the equaliser, which, which comes with Wolves sort of laying this trap for, for him and, and, and he and he gives it away. I mean just just on the overpaying element, I, I guess that 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 brings it to just the other the parts of the club that are away from Pochettino and whether or not he's being given a squad that really works and, and, and makes sense and is going to suit his his style of play. And you've just got this kind of recruitment structure which has you know been put together where there are a lot of there are a lot of people within it. And, uh, you know, Paul Wynn Stanley and, and, and Lawrence Stewart as the co-sporting directors, they brought in another guy from Brighton, uh, Sam Jewell, uh, whose, whose position is as yet undefined, but he was the head of recruitment at Brighton. You've got Joe Shields in there, who was at Southampton and, and Manchester City. There's a lot of people in there and a lot of people sort of contributing to these signings. And at what point do you go, well, is, is the manager the, the issue here? Or is it other people? Are other people going to have to start taking responsibility? And if you sack the manager, at what point do they kind of have to own some of the some of the mess as well? And within that as well, you've got an ownership that, in certain instances, has liked to get involved in in, in the recruitment as well. Um, and you know, to Rich's point about whether or not it is a soulless project, I think the interesting thing with with Pochettino is that. He is really not a soulless person. He's like this, this big South American. Oh, he's constantly got got tears in his eyes. Like like his open yeah. letter talking about when he was six years old watching the World Cup final with his daddy. You know, like the the, the guy is he's desperate to, to to try and inject a bit of emotion into this he's, thing. Just... He's a people person. I mean, if you talk to anybody about Pochettino, all they'll tell you about is what a great guy he is, and and they'll just talk about you know his his great hugs and how he lifts everybody in the room, the barbecues and everything. And he's just got no. He's come into this place, and it feels like he's he's not been able to do that, and he's got no connection with the fans. Whereas at Tottenham, they absolutely adored him. Maybe maybe not now. He's gone to Chelsea, but they but they did the fans. And 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 here it just feels like he's just floundering a little bit and trying to find his place, and he he can't he can't get that. But the soullessness. He's not the only one who feels that. I think that the fans themselves. If you if you sort of look at what they say they, they do talk about how they just don't feel connected anymore and i suppose it's easy to sort of say is, is that because you were winning for 20 years and now you've gone on a horrendous two-year trophy drought or is there something deeper going on in the way that the club is being run that just everything just feels a little bit cold and weird and an alien because they, they are such a weird side as well that's sort of capable of looking of doing brilliant things and really stupid things in about the space of a minute it's just the whole thing is just yes that extra time yesterday is is going to go down as one of the weirdest periods of football that's ever taken place in a in a final Mm. i guess because no i don't think anybody's going to be able to explain (laughs) 
sort of satisfactorily how they went from being on top to just going, right now we're not going to play against some teenagers for 30 minutes. Speaking of weird football teams, Richard, Jim Ratcliffe last week was confirmed as uh, it all went through and he did media and he talked about noisy neighbours and knocking certain clubs off their perch. He played the hits. He played the hits. But one of the only hits he didn't play was Fergie time. I don't I don't know. I didn't see any mention of Fergie time, but there's loads of that these days in, in modern football. Unfortunately for Manchester United, now that gives enough time for opponents to go and score the winning goal as Fulham did. And an extraordinary ending there. You're at Old Trafford at the weekend. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so Iwobi time. The, uh, the Fulham versions <laughs> on Fergie time. Um, yeah, I guess there was a certain inevitability that United would lose the first game after Radcliffe, um, Radcliffe's investment was confirmed and he did that interview. And maybe if um, that had all happened seven days earlier, they'd have lost to Luton instead. Mm. But um, yeah, it was incredibly badly timed for um, Eric Ten Hag, I, I felt. Um, it was a further illustration of Manchester United's many issues this season um, and that even though they'd had their best winning run of the season before then, the foundations of it felt built on sand in that they they are, they look a team who are capable of losing virtually every game. So even when they win five in a row, that includes the times where Wolves have come back from the dead against them and they had a 2-0 lead against Newport County and then contrived to be drawing two all with them and West Ham were arguably the better team in the first half and they were hanging on at times against Luton. Um, and in the process, I mean, Ten, ha- Ten Hag's obviously t- asking about the bigger or, or trying to encourage people to look at the bigger picture, but I'm not sure the bigger picture looks that bright for you don't him. Think, you um, don't think so? I mean, I, I, mean, I, no. I, I have to say, <laughs> sure, surely, maybe not for Ten Hag personally, because he has, he's taken a lot of L's at this point and it, it does start to... You know, people start to associate you with that. You know, after after a while, it's just you know, there's only so many L's you can take. But the big picture surely is looking good. You know, I mean, they've they've got like a potentially a, a whole new direction here. Some apparently competent people coming in. You know, a kind of a uh, the guy the guy at the top is actually talking in terms of yeah, we're gonna do this, we're gonna blah blah. You know, they, like the Glazers have never done that. You know what I mean? They they haven't had that for years. So so this is potentially a big there's a sea change that, that could be oh, happening yeah. So, yeah, all of that is, I meant the bigger picture for Ten Hag in terms of oh, this yeah. season, in terms of don't just judge me on one defeat to Fulham. Um, I, I mean, this season, it's, I think United have been flattered by the league position. Um, I think the goal difference, which is exactly zero, is a better indication of how good or otherwise they are. Um, they... They managed to come up with a winning formula of sorts briefly, but the minute Rasmus Hoyland got injured, um, that was uh, that that kind of disappeared. They had the familiar situation on Saturday where they basically didn't have a midfield, even though they've got their first choice midfield. And of them, one of them is an incredibly talented teenager. One of them's a bloke who's won the Champions League on multiple occasions, and one of them's the club captain. So it should be the strongest midfield, and yet United just don't really have a midfield. There's this recurring theme that put pretty much any team out against Manchester United, and they will have somewhere between 15 and 25 shots against them. Mm. And surely that shouldn't be the case um, if you are a team with any aspirations. I mean, 
you've got the contrasting statistic at the moment of the incredibly few shots that Arsenal have been conceding in Premier League games over over recent weeks. We United, everyone will have roughly 20 shots against them. And yes, there's this injection of ambition off the field. They're trying to hire people who, in Radcliffe's words, are best in class, and they clearly think that Dan Ashworth and Omar Barada are cases in point. Uh, potentially Jason Wilcox too, if they bring him in. Um, all of which then shows the gulf between off the field and on the field. And that is obviously worrying for Ten Hag. Um, Radcliffe answered about Ten Hag last week, but he wasn't particularly effusive. I think he said, I think it would be inappropriate for me to talk about Eric Ten Hag. Ten Hag, on the other hand, has been a a lot more effusive about Radcliffe and said they're aligned. Um, So... It would be inappropriate for me to talk about. To be fair, he did also say the environment hasn't worked for any manager in the last 10 or 11 years. And and Ten Hag has been working in that environment, so we have to fix that. So I I felt he gave him a small bit of leeway there, maybe. But yes, he stopped well short of saying Ten Hag is my man, for sure. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting, the, the contrast with saying Ashworth's one of the top sporting directors in the world and didn't say Ten Hag's one of the top managers in the yeah. world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you, you're right. Clearly, he recognises that there needs to be the appropriate environment around the manager, which is clearly also the same with Chelsea. Um, but they, they do face a decision in the summer. And it, I think a lot of people they have inherited in senior roles either have already gone. Um, I mean, Richard Arnold left even before the Radcliffe um, investment was confirmed. But there are, there are other people who have already gone or are going. And there will be a big, uh, the biggest question within that is, after that is Ten Hag, because clearly there's, we'll wait to see if John Murtagh goes, but with Dan Ashworth presumably coming in, if Murtagh stays, it'll be in a downgraded role. There are a couple of departures that are happening, um, which might seem low level in some respects, but may also seem a case of people from the old regime jumping before they were pushed. Eric Ramsey, one of the coaches, is going to go and manage Minnesota. Holly Bancroft, the head of women's football and someone who John Murtagh appointed, is going to go and become chief executive of Grimsby Town um, without knowing all of their motivations and all of the details. I'm guessing, but are they people who just think, well, I was hired by the old regime, the new regime of bringing people in. Mm. It makes sense for me to take these other job offers. Um, But... Ten Hag has had complete backing from John Merton and Richard Arnold, and they had a personal investment and a reason to want him to succeed. Radcliffe, Barada, Dave Brailsford, John-Claude Blanc, Dan Ashworth, they don't have that, and they can make a much more impartial decision and too many more days like Fulham, and you would guess what that decision might be. Yeah, fair enough. We've run out of a Wolby time at this stage. Richard, Jacob, thanks a million. Thanks a lot. People call them rats because a rat will do anything to survive. Isn't that right, Mr. Hill? Objection. I would not give Real Madrid a rat's chance against Chelsea. You didn't give them a rat's chance. If they they get through against Chelsea, uh, Owen, I do not give them a rat's chance. Okay, yeah, rat. Rat's chance. No, no rat's chance. Kamavinga searching for Benzema who hooks it in the goal of back. I just don't see it. Still, come on. I will not give Real Madrid a rat's Against chance. City. Not a rat's chance. Oh, 
it's going to catch up with you eventually. I don't believe in magic. I believe in reality. I believe in material reality. Here comes Benzema. Sai puts the ball in. I don't know nothing about being a rat. Mr. Hill, you know everything about being a rat. I thought they would lose to PSG. They beat PSG. I thought they would lose to Chelsea. They beat Chelsea. I thought they would lose to Manchester City. And really, they should have lost to Manchester City. And what about Liverpool then? Are you giving them a chance against Liverpool? No. Remarkably, Ken, you got away on holidays and back without the FAI appointing a new Republic of Ireland manager. Can you believe that? It was actually the perfect week for Ken to be away. No actual news, just lots of... Well, it was. We've just been like, Ken, we have to talk about this. He's like, nothing fucking happened in the last 24 hours. I'm not fucking talking about it. Lots of football football pathway plans and pack hearings and so on, but no actual management appointment. Well, it it seemed to me like there was a lot going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was like... I mean, I, I did... I was at one point sitting there watching Jonathan Hill's... Uh, testimony. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I was on all this. I wouldn't about the the joke that unfortunately the wasn't quite a lucrative joke. Quite a lucrative joke ended up with uh, extra money, which has since been paid back. Of course, Uh, no, it was simply a throwaway comment, which was misinterpreted in an email chain. This might be news to some people who you know. I I know. I'm aware there are some people from England or further afield who don't necessarily follow Irish football too closely. And like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, no, that's that's it in a nutshell. Our, Our CEO jokingly asked for money in lieu of holidays in an email chain and he unjokingly received it ultimately ended up getting it paying it back in the meantime unfortunately that money put him over the threshold that was allowable under the government bailout that has saved the FAI and so they end up before various committees and there's lots of Embarrassing redacted interactions emails. and there's a redacted email going on situation ah, going on as well it's got to happen soon though right I mean it's the management it's, it's going to happen soon, right? They're going to. I feel. I feel. I think they feel under pressure now. They're, you think? They're, they're, yeah, I think they're really kind of. Oh no! This is. We're going to have to produce a name, you know. Mm. And I'm. I fear that. Mm. I, I yeah. fear. I, I'd like. I'd like some composure. I want some calm, some poise, some patience. Some Gerbanov. Well, I mean, he's again. He continues to uh, captivate in the Europa the man League. Is unbelievable, Chris Coleman. Easy come, easy go. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, you missed the Coleman era. Ship that passed <laughs> the Coleman era was a very short-lived yeah. one. Yeah. Listen, maybe that lack of composure will manifest itself in making Lee Carrisley an outrageous financial offer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think if we're going to lose our composure, I would rather lose our composure with state funding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> than it's, lose our composure with decision making. It's better to ask forgiveness than permission. Yeah. State, when it yeah. comes to blowing state funding on yeah. it. Uh, we offered Lee Carrisley uh, a financial package we thought we were joking, but Lee did. <laughs> Neil, you're on a million a year. Just kidding. Oh. But, so am I on a million a year? <laughs> I mean, the jigs and the rails were paying Lee Carrisley a million a year and he's qualified us for Euro 2028. I'm sorry, everyone. Like Thanks, yeah. Barf. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Thank you, Ken. Thank, Thank you, Ken. More Ken during the week on the World Service, if you remember that is, of course. So sign up now. Secondcaptains.com, Fiverr Month plus VAT. Second Captain's Podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. And of course, you can receive all episodes ad-free. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.